Hey, welcome in to the Craig Houston Podcast. One of the major episodes that I told you I was going to get involved in and give you information on eventually, which has been a very long time because I've been setting this up for a while, is actually how to get started in Airbnb. I know that a lot of people are looking at this from a lens of, you know, the markets are shifting, prior prices are going down, interest rates are shifting a lot. But Airbnb is a great way to build out your wealth and to invest in, in property that can actually grow into maybe even a gold mine, let my guests tell you. So today I'm, I'm pleased and, and, and enthusiastically happy to have Lauren Coates on. Hey, Lauren, how you doing? Hey, Craig, I'm doing great. Thanks. Hey, I'm glad to have you here. Like I told the audience, I know. And before we even got together today, I was like, man, we've been talking about doing this since last year, uh, early this year. And now we're moving to 2023 and we're just not getting this done. This is for folks who don't understand. This is about eight months in the making to make this show happen. And as a content creator, I've never had anything like this happen to me. And now I'm just like, I'm really excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, it's amazing. It's actually perfect timing because I've just launched my course a few weeks ago here. It's just got up live on Teachable. So it's really excellent timing, I think, for all the viewers. It's, which is perfect because we're going to break some of that down too and give uh, some of the folks information. And we have some things in store for you. So you want to keep uh, watching this episode or listening to it on stream because we're going to get into a lot of things. Laura, let's start with how did you even get started in Airbnb? Let's back it up a little bit. Amazing. So yeah, it was actually back in 2016 and I had just been traveling for about five years around the world. I studied graphic design, so I became a digital nomad and I was just doing graphic design from my computer, but I felt called to return to California and start a business, have some grounded. So right when I turned, uh, got back to California after visiting 20 countries and staying in guest house and living in hotels and hostels for years, I got approached actually by a friend who said, look, I have this friend. He's a property owner. He has six units that are empty. He wants someone to set up and run Airbnb. And I was like, you know, I had stayed in a few Airbnbs on my travels, but I thought this was an excellent opportunity. So we just started to hustle. We got a truck. We were on free Craigslist. We furnished this thing on a super budget. And I basically taught myself as I went, you know, what, what am I looking for in cleaners? You know, what, how does the cleaning schedule work? What kind of design is getting more bookings? What kind of titles are getting more bookings? What price points are getting more bookings? So I would say over the last six years, just being involved in hosting, you know, thousands of travelers, and then also learning as the markets changed, how you can diversify from outside Airbnb onto other platforms or direct booking, really to optimize whatever your financial goals are and to really attract the kind of clients that you want. So I would say it's been a really long journey. Um, in the last two, three years, I've more been doing consulting. So I've just helping property owners to set up and manage and develop systems for their own Airbnb business so they can have more freedom, know where to invest their money, know how to run it, you know, on their chosen lifestyle. Because I always say the magic is you can design your lifestyle with Airbnb. You just mm. hire the people to do the things you don't want to do. So you can kind of set your schedule. Okay. So. I want to I want to catch uh re refocus on something real quick that you said. You said you visited 20 countries during this time frame that's as a digital nomad. Okay. Yes. What was the so just for my sake, what was the best one? Oh, oh man. Well, Brazil always wins. Brazil okay. is my Brazil always wins. Um but I would say I really 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 loved Turkey also. 
That okay. was amazing. And Italy, of course, is all and India are always at the top. Um, I'd say wow. Well. <laughs> so for, for the reason why I asked that is because one we were doing this uh podcast virtually, obviously, but we're doing it where Lawrence actually home based out of Brazil right now at this point in time. So that makes this even more of a, a special tool that we're actually getting an opportunity to speak to someone who has creatively set themselves up to feel that they don't have to worry about anything, but they got things set up to help people out best, as much as they can. So, okay, let's go back and uh, talk about exactly uh, how much, how much is someone actually who's thinking about getting started into doing Airbnb, how much money do they actually need to have up front to get started? Amazing. So I would say that that really varies upon what you already have and mm-hmm. what your structure is going to be. And I'll give you a few examples here. So let's say I, I have a fully furnished home and I'm like, you know what, I'm working remotely or I'm taking a break. You know, I want to go um, travel a bit and put my house on Airbnb. The investment is going to be very tiny because you have everything set up. Maybe you just buy some fresh bedding and do a deep clean, right? So that's a small investment. If on the opposite end, if you're going to be renting a place or buying a place just to do Airbnb and the place is empty, you have no furniture, you have no bedding, uh, you need to start up with security deposit, all that kind of thing. Uh, depending where you are and how thrifty you want to be, getting secondhand furniture, you know, bargain hunting, I usually say that number is between five and, and $12,000. Okay. So now... Five to twelve, so five to twelve k is based on actually like being like a subletter of the property that you're actually doing the hosting from. Yeah, and I can break that down super simply. So let's say, let's say we're doing a new Airbnb in Virginia, our our favorite place. Uh, Let's just use (laughs) Richmond for example, right? Richmond doesn't have super high property; it's pretty affordable. So let's say we get like a really, you know, decent, nice kind of clean apartment. for a thousand dollars a month, right? So we okay. have a thousand dollars first month's rent, a thousand dollars security deposit, and then easily, you know, a thousand to three thousand with furniture, bedding, utilities, Wi-Fi, um, and you know, maybe doing some small repairs. So you could get super thrifty on that. Um, you could, you know, like I said, if you have an SUV, you could stay on Craigslist on Let Go and really furnish cheaply. Bedding is usually going to be one of the standard investments that are, is at least $400. Right. Okay. Okay. So now that is, so maybe, so I just want to kind of like break this down a little bit more. So basically sure. let's say, okay. So basically a, 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 a right now, currently a for rent by owner who, who may have a property that's on the market as, as vacant and they're looking for a tenant tenant comes in and say, Hey, for rent by owner, Mr. Buyer, I really want to, uh, rent your your home, but then I want to also be able to be afforded the opportunity to sublet it. So I'm going to make sure that you get your rent each month, but then everything gets done that is their profit after they whatever they put in. So first month deposit, uh, and then they rent at the end of the month, and then whatever they spend to actually uh, furnish the, the property the way they need to, which is about three thousand dollars, four thousand dollars based on what's going on, and then boom, that's that you're almost open for business right away. Yes, exactly. And I can give you a few points as well for talking to landlords about why Airbnb is actually in their benefit. Wow, Um, let's talk about it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, you know, like a lot of people will, when they approach 
you have it right on the nose. It's like approaching by owner rentals uh, is going to be a little bit better than property manager because they're going to property management companies because they're going to have, you know, legal standards that they've mm -hmm. presented to all their clients. But if you're doing it, someone who owns it, there's that's kind of how you want to start. If you're going to start off right the bat with the sublet, uh, there are luxury apartments that let you do Airbnb, um, but you have to kind of seek those out as well. So yeah, you can basically say, look, you know, I'm going to put really strict rules on my Airbnb. I'm going to put and they can you can tell them I'm going to say quiet hours are from this time to this time. No parties. You can let them know what rules you have in mind. You know, I'm going to put strict rules because I don't want anyone, you know, messing up my furniture, my investment. Right. Um, you can also let them know, you know, this house is going to this apartment's going to be cleaned, you know, anywhere from three to ten times a month. Do you have any other tenants that are going to deep clean your property <laughs> 10 times a month? <laughs> <laughs> that is absolutely true. <laughs> absolutely yeah. true. <laughs> and then you can also make this kind of barter with them and say, look, I'll do, you know, I'll take care of all these repairs. A normal tenant wouldn't do, you know, I'll do the plumbing. I'll do the light bulbs. I mean, I'll do the garbage disposal. You can take on a certain, you know, gift to them. Uh, kind of like a trade, right? right? I'll take on these repairs. So you'll never hear from me. My rent check will always be on time. You know, I'll pay you a week in advance. You know, you can mm. kind of start to offer some things that they know, like, you know, they're definitely getting paid because you're getting paid. You're taking optimal care of their property. Um, and you're in there, you know, taking care of it as well. Right. Okay. So that is, that is also, one, someone who's listening to this doesn't, I think one of the things that people think of when they think about Airbnb is they say, hey, you know, I got to buy a property first, an investment property to get started in this. But you have like kind of already outlined the blueprint on you don't necessarily need the property. You just need to have the the, in, in, the intellect to have the conversation about somebody else letting you borrow their property to do the air host, to be an Airbnb host. Absolutely. And I would recommend making a little list of those tips I just suggested. And you kind of write down what you're willing to offer. A lot of people who do this will offer the homeowner a little bit more than what they're asking. So they'll say, right. by the way, I'll give you an extra 200 a month, you know, and, uh, you know, I'll put this many months up front. I mean, I don't technically recommend that, but you could offer, you know, three months rent up front. You could always keep in front of it. And let them, you know, you can even do shorter contracts with them. Like, look, we'll do six months. And if you're not happy, then I'll, then I'll leave. Right. So you make like really attractive terms for the owner. Sometimes people will offer a percentage of sales, but I recommend just kind of doing like an upfront bribe <laughs> because right. you, then you need to keep track of all your expenses in such a detailed way. Right. And um, I think yeah, it's just more net, yeah, net leasing is terrible. I, I don't, I don't even know who came up with the idea of net leasing. That is the worst thing ever because now you got to always remember, like you said, you got to keep track of everything and make sure that you're giving a percentage of it. No, I don't, I don't, I wouldn't agree to that either. That's <laughs> Yeah. And then you also got to let them know how much you're making, which you right. really, you're you're making don't open books to nobody. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Okay. So that is, that is awesome. Okay. So we've already outlined how you can get started with the lowest minimum cost to you. Um, let's talk about basically once you've identified that and you found the property because you found a, a, a property owner who may want to work with you in this idea, at least for six months, what's next? What, what should the person who's actually looking to invest actually look to do next what should they be worried about anything le legally first 
or should they be doing their research to see if it's even well before let's back up because i feel like there should be some research done first before you approach a, a, a property owner about actually getting into the business with them of actually being a subletter oh yeah definitely yeah i definitely have some foundational points here um, based on your last question, I'll just add uh, two more quick points is that the investment can definitely be between five and $15,000, you know, very easily. But I also recommend hosts if they have a spare room, if they have a back house, if they have a family property, if they have a, a you know, let's say it's kind of a half empty property, or maybe you want to become a big Airbnb investor and you and your, your partner kind of stay at each other's homes, maybe just move in together temporarily, Airbnb the other place. There's, it's, there's never a problem to start small. There's never a problem to start with an available space, even if you're doing a partnership with someone. Like let's say you have a buddy that has a spare room. He works, you know, he's never really home. You know, you only rent out the spare room on the days that he's gone, right? And you have some kind of thing. So you get familiar with it because there right. is, yeah. And then you get more comfortable. You kind of, you get the eyes for it. You're able to evaluate how the flow is and then you'll feel more confident to expand. So I always say, you know, it doesn't hurt to start small uh, with low investment on in a space already available to you or someone in your network. Yeah. It gives you the muscle memory. I see what you're saying. Like it basically makes you feel confident in what you're doing to move into a bigger expansion. Like you, like you already based it off of. So yeah, that makes sense. I like that. Yeah. And it's definitely going to en enhance your creativity too, because then, you know, you feel more comfortable, you feel like you know what you're doing, and then you can allow yourself to expand bigger based on the practical knowledge you already have. Because yes. if you haven't ran an Airbnb before you have, um, I wouldn't, it, dreaming as big as possible, you know, can only go so far when you right. have a little experience. Yeah. So definitely I highly recommend people to do research. So here I'm going to get like a tiny bit technical, but if you have a little bit of real estate, uh, knowledge, you know, this may be very basic to you. So we have what's known as the primary residence, which is where, you know, the government has your driver's license or your ID, your tax, you know, this is the residence that you, the government thinks that that's where you live, right? So with Airbnb and short-term rentals, it's called STR, the initials for short. So when you're Googling, you're basically looking for STR regulations. Um, that's going to be there's going to be different laws for primary residents in a lot of states and a lot of cities. So if it's your primary residence, it's where you live uh, most of the year and you're putting it on Airbnb. In a lot of city districts, you'll be allowed to rent it out all year, 120 days, 180 days. You have some rights there. Uh, if it's a secondary residence, so it's a you know investment property, you don't live there whatsoever. In some cities and some states, it's completely illegal to do short-term rental on these secondary residences. So I highly recommend people when they're doing the legal research to go to google.com or your favorite search engine. You may wanna even check more than one search engine if you use an alternative one and type in STR regulations and we'll just use Richmond, Virginia for example. So STR regulations, Richmond, Virginia. STR laws, Richmond, Virginia. STR ordinances, Richmond, Virginia. And you'll be looking on the main page, the all page, you know, but then you also want to click over to the news page because if there's any meetings going on, if there's any latest council meetings, if there's the government is talking about some things, if there's some kind of protest going on, like in Los Angeles, there was a housing crisis, there were like protests against Airbnb, you'll get in the know really quick about what's in the pipeline, what's coming up, because the laws may be supporting you now, 
but you didn't click the news, you didn't see that in three weeks they're, you know, voting to change it, right? Right, right. Okay, okay. So uh, is there anything that typically that you're looking for specifically that stands out to you that like I'm automatically going into these pages and looking directly for this information first? Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's tricky to do the research, but you know, this is kind of a new phenomenon, this Airbnb short-term rental and entrepreneurial cash cow boom. <laughs> it's really right. what it is. So a lot of government agencies, you know, they don't really have like an Airbnb STR office. They're kind of like adding these laws or regulations into an existing uh, governing body. And for each city or small village or town or state, it looks different. What part of the government is managing this? What part of the government has been, you know, given the responsibility to regulate it, to, you know, take action with enforcing it? So sometimes it can be hard. Sometimes it's like the zoning people who give permits for construction and things like that. A lot of times that will be the department that's setting the rules, but you'll have to sometimes do a little digging. Um, if you live in a very small town, it may be easier because then you can just call the local, you know, county government and ask directly and they'll know. Uh, some places okay. it might be more tricky. Got you. Okay. So basically, um, do you think that's going to change? I guess the question is you may not have uh, an idea, but as an ambassador, because uh, for a lot of people who don't know, uh, Lauren is an Airbnb ambassador. We'll get into that here in a minute. But the question I would have, do you think there will be uh, a, some type of established office or a zoning commission that will start to like worry about what's going on with Airbnb pre predominantly? You know, I would say this is definitely in the gray zone because a lot of hosts, you know, it's illegal and they keep hosting and they never get any letters. They never get any neighbor complaints and they successfully host for years without any enforcement. And it's kind of like the inform the law is a technicality, but it's still kind of allowed. So it's, it's kind of hard to, hard to know. Um, when I was researching Richmond in depth for one of my clients, I saw that I think, you know, only three letters had been sent out from this office to host, letting them know mm. they needed to shut down. And there are thousands upon thousands of these Airbnbs operating illegally. And so they were even thinking to change the law because it's kind of embarrassing that they're not doing any uh, regulation. About it, right, yeah. Yes. Yeah. So just making them look bad. <laughs> they were like, okay, yeah. let's revert it because we're obviously not going to enforce it. Wow. Okay. So. So, okay, so we have our research is to basically you want to start with a Google search, at least at a basic to figure out what's the short term rental regulations in your in your county, district, state and city. Really and truly. Yeah. And I will okay. I will give a few extra pointers here. So there may be none. If you live in a small town or a village, there may be zero. And if you don't find anything, it's because it doesn't exist. Right. Um, I wouldn't have fear around this. It's really just a first step of due diligence so you can dream a little bit bigger and make your business plan around it. Uh, and of course, if you're going to invest $15,000, you definitely want to spend, you know, maybe a few hours just really checking and knowing. Um, I've called office to office to office trying to get information in certain cities. And it's kind of like no one really knows because it's not their day to day situation. It's, it's really a teeny tiny part of the law that's new that hasn't been solidified really, I'd say. Okay. So 
let's so let's start with the business plan because we already talked about uh, regulations or talk, doing research and then we talked about actually approaching how to how to source the right avenue to actually host to, be, to start becoming a host so let's talk about um basically build, building that business plan or how are you establishing a business plan that you want to set up for the type of hosting that you want to do amazing yeah definitely so with anyone who's thinking about doing Airbnb, they really see the opportunity here because there's there's really a lot of money in Airbnb um, with real estate. You know, it's much more profitable in certain markets to do Airbnb versus having long-term tenants. You know, you could be doubling, tripling, 5Xing your potential profits. So what I would say is that when you're planning, when you're planning to, you know, evaluate your local market, check and see if your local market supports your your business plan or your location or your idea. The first thing you're going to want to do is go to Airbnb.com and type in your location of the property that you're either looking at buying, the location of where your property is, and or you know what you're thinking about. And then put the similar amenities in. So you're going to put, you know, let's say Richmond, Virginia. I won't select any dates. You know, you can put two guests and you'll go to the next screen. And then there'll be a filters button. And the filters button is where you can put, you know, I want a, a beach side. I want, you know, Wi-Fi. I want a kitchen. I want this many bedrooms. I would say pick the amenities, very basic, that are the same as yours. So if you have a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment in Richmond, Virginia, just select those two, maybe put Wi-Fi and kitchen because those are very basic and you, you know, you want to make sure those are. And then you want to look and see what all the competition is making. And that those first rentals that come up are usually going to be the super hosts. They're usually going to have the best reviews and they're best, basically going to have the highest review score. So when you click on those first ones that pop up, you'll be able to click on their calendar and you can see how full they are. So let's say there's a rental, you know, I didn't even know. I just looked and it's two houses down from me. And I look in and see that it's all booked up. It's booked really? up for six. It, let's say, let's say I see that it's booked up. Yeah, for six yeah, months. yeah. Gotcha. And it's not, it's not just grayed out. It has like, you know, one day here, Tuesdays here, three days here empty. So I know that these are organic real bookings. It's not just someone's home that has a live listing that's blocked the calendar. You see mm -hmm. what I mean? Right. And then I can read the reviews and I can see. Oh, someone reviewed it, you know, two weeks ago. Someone reviewed it last month. Okay, this is a live rental. And that's really the first step you're going to want to do is check out what your competition is, who's successful, and just kind of familiarize yourself with what a successful listing looks like, you know? Uh, you know what this is to me? This is called reverse engineering that Lauren is talking about. Oh my goodness. So basically it's another business that I, uh, business model I've seen where I'm actually involved in uh, trying to get that business off the ground is that we always look into other people's inventory. Like we basically go, we already know that we're selling this product. So we want to go see what the competition is selling in, in association with, so we can try to get on those listings as well. And basically I check the inventory to see what it's selling and then see if I can, if I can source the same item at, at, a, at a reasonable price to be competitive. And that is reverse engineering on Airbnb inventory. That's amazing. Oh, exactly. And uh, sometimes I share this with people and it seems like maybe they don't have patience for that. They're like, oh man, I'm going to have to click around and things like that. But for me, I get excited. Yeah, like, because that tells you how much, because you could take their, you could take their pricing. You could take how much they're actually pricing their home for about the amount of bookings that they're getting. And you can say, wow, they making that much money that month. 
exactly. So when you click, exactly, exactly. When you click on the calendar, usually depending on your device, it will drop down and it will show you their nightly pricing as well. So you'll see, oh, on the weekends, they're charging, you know, 219. On Monday and Tuesday nights, they're charging 169. Oh, on Christmas, they're charging 329. And you can kind of see how they're doing their pricing. So that's like your, it's your kindergarten, your first grade, you know, you're building your knowledge, you're looking at what a successful listing looks like. And then you read the reviews and you see what are people complaining about? What are people saying that they liked? You know, if every single review is saying, oh my gosh, they have this amazing thing in the kitchen. It made our trip totally worth it. Okay. See if you want to buy that too. If people are like, oh, the location's amazing. You know, it's very close to this coffee shop and this brewery. And you see that everyone is talking about that and you're also near that, well, then you can put that in your listing as well. So, so it's not crazy. Yeah. It's not copying. It's basically seeing how does your competition highlight the benefits of the location of the space and how can you actually one up them? So that's, that's usually where I like crazy. to take it, but to lay the foundation, it's first you want to see, and, and it's even better if you can slip into the mind frame of traveler. So you can be like, okay, if I was, you know, going here for, you know, my vacation, I only get two weeks vacation, I'm going to see my family, you know, and I'm going to try to get into the traveler's point of view, I pull up my competition, whose photos, you know, scream trust to me, whose photos scream wow to me, whose photos say, this is a cozy, comfortable, clean place, because the number one error that Airbnb hosts make is bad photography. That's literally. Wow, agents. I say the same thing about agents. I say the same. <laughs> You're absolutely on the sub. That's so crazy. Yeah, because you build trust. You make people want to come there. Yeah, and it's so, it's so, uh, sometimes I, I try to think, how can I say this without sounding offensive? But it's kind of like, if you have bad photography, you're basically telling the traveler, I'm not professional. I don't really know what I'm doing. You can't trust me. It's probably not going to be clean. I might not show up. And this might be a nightmare vacation for you. It's kind of like entering the spooky haunted house. It's like these are blurry photos. They're taken of the corner that doesn't have anything in it. It's, it's, it's kind of like I got the willies thinking about going here on my vacation. <laughs> oh, my goodness. That is so so critical you're right i can see that being critical side so when i i don't book airbnb that much but when i have booked airbnb the, the one thing i wanted to know is that was i going to be safe where i was going to be at yes and exactly. that's the first thing that comes to mind so um i can see i can see your point here and but what's really crazy to me that when you say people don't want to um they don't want to do the research i will even take it a step further i will go stay at the competition at least one night <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you sound like the the king of reverse engineering and that's exactly right so i highly recommend people and um actually in the course that i've created it's uh, the course i created basically for people to figure out if airbnb hosting is right for them right because that's where i really think you start like my book it really it really starts with okay you have the space you're sure you want to do it let's get started and i the book just starts with you're sure let's move forward but the course is really about let's do the due diligence to see if you actually want to do this, if it makes sense for you. Right. I think that's a more important place to start when you're thinking about investing your savings, you know, creating your new income stream and really chasing a goal and a dream. 
uh, that due diligence is exciting. So in the course, I actually have these kind of guides where it's like, okay, what does the what does the competition have that you don't have? What does the competition have? Um, that, what do you have that they don't have? How do they describe the location to sell it? You know, write down these adjectives. You know, what are they? What are the reviews saying? You know, about the benefits. Mm. So then we collect this data of like how people are selling the neighborhood, how your competition is expressing itself, and then of course you're going to take all your unique features and then you know basically just build on what they've already established is working for the local marketing. Okay, so let's so now we're so we're three steps in and I already have two pages of notes. Okay, so let's <laughs> let's start with okay, so let's let's recap so far where we're at. So sure. you do your research first. Find out if you're what if you can even you need to avoid some type of short-term rate or rental regulations or laws that's going to get you in trouble. Right? Understand what your city has available to you. Secondly, we said okay, you need to identify what type of property that you compare with, or even if you can't get your own property to start with, identify a property that you can actually maybe even sublet and put your smallest amount of investment money into it as possible. Yes. If that's, okay. if that's, if that makes sense to you and how yeah, you want to start. Right. All right. And then three, we said reverse engineer the process of what somebody else at your competition has already done and see how that can benefit you. And I think what you have stumbled upon uh, to me is that what would get me excited is to see how much they're generating annually based on their bookings by just looking at the calendar as much as I possibly can and seeing if I can even replicate 20% of that. Yes. So I would say that that's the primary thing. First, we look at, you know, we put the filter to the exact same. We look at maybe five to 10 listings, really take some notes of what we think is working. And we also write down how many of these people have terrible photography and how many of these people I would never stay there. Right. Because then you're yes. kind of seeing where the competition lays and how you can one up them. Then I highly recommend everyone go to, and you're also going to write down like how many listings are there. So you can click on the map feature and you can see, oh, wow, there's, there's, you know, a thousand rentals around me, or there's right. only two and they're fully booked. That's a fantastic sign about supply and demand. Um, I'll go into more about creating the business plan and how you can evaluate if it's right for you to set up the Airbnb. But, you know, supply and demand isn't exactly you know, black or white, because even if there's a great supply in your local area, if you're looking at all these listings and knowing that you could get a better photographer and that you could do a better decoration and you see a bunch of, you know, these things are not full, you just know that how you need to pick, design your niche, how you need, what niche you need to go into with your photography, with your decoration to make your rental like the no brainer. You know, people look and they're like, whoa, it looks like an interior design magazine, just not even from the furniture, just from the, the quality of the photos. Photos, right? right. Exactly. Yeah. So then we go to AirDNA.co. And okay. this is super crucial. It's not AirDNA.com. It's AirDNA.co. You pay basically around $40, $39 for one month access to one location. So it's it's a tiny investment, but a million times worth it. Uh, for example, I type in Richmond, Virginia, it comes up, I pay the $40. I can see all the vacation rental data of Airbnb and VRBO for the last year, for the last years. It shows me exactly the occupancy rate, how many nights, the average price. 
and it breaks it down into percentiles. So you see the top 90th percentile, those are the top 10% of rentals, the most expensive ones, and it shows you by bedroom and bathroom count. So I can look up my exact rental. Okay, I have a two bedroom, two bath in the city of Richmond. Okay, the top you know, luxury, the top 10%, they're making an average of this and has graphs and you can see the occupancy rate per each month. You can see the occupancy rate over the last five years. You can see the number of active rentals in your area. And you can also do that for the 75th percentile. So that's going to be like the top 25%. Then you have the 50th and then you have the, the lowest amount, which is, you know, the real economy places. So you get a super foundational blueprint of what's possible for you. So my thing would be, okay, if I'm new, so which percentile where I want to attack first? Like, like the reason why I asked that is because like what we just talked about reverse engineering, when, um, there's, when I use my same, uh, practice of what I say, what we're doing now with sales, if it's not in the top 1%, we don't even attack it. Like, mm. so like if it's, so if it's 2%, it may be, it may have great sales, but it based and it may still make me say I don't want to have a part in that because the one percentile I know I have a better chance of selling that all the time. So and when you go into Airbnb, what is the percentile target that you're actually looking for? Yeah, definitely. So it would definitely depend on your strategy. So let's say your strategy was you know you're in California on the beach, you found this luxury apartment building that has a gym and a rooftop pool some miracle situation, they let you do Airbnb, right? So you have this view of the ocean, you have the rooftop pool. I would say, make your place a minimal luxury place. Have a few pieces of furniture, but they have them be designer and modern, do all white bedding, you know, and do some ambient lighting, you know, have some fancy coffee that you offer, some fancy soaps, do something that's, you know, some really, really nice towels. But the place can be almost empty. You know, travelers don't necessarily want a crowded room full of, you know, grandma's knickknacks. A lot of people in a certain, and in some places it would be very cozy and homey to have those. But in, in this particular example, right. I would go for the 300 to 500 per night range and have that be my business model. Now, if this is a, a country cabin home, you know, in the middle of nowhere that my family owns, but it's very comfortable, it's clean, you know, it's it, it's got this cozy family vacation feeling, you know, but I don't want to invest $10,000 in making it all new furniture. It doesn't make sense to make it a luxury, you know, modern designer cottage. Right. So then maybe the price is going to be, depending on the bedrooms, something between $150 to, to $375 per night. Uh, and that's kind of the place where it's going to live. It's not, there's not really a market for something more than that. So are you using, so AirDNA gives you all these analytics that you're using, but then also after the analytics are provided to you, are you having to go back and kind of mirror what the listings that you're looked at on Airbnb matches up to the percentiles of the analytics that you're looking at? Yeah. So, I mean, you, I suggest people to start with the local competition research because then you've just kind of read chapter one of your, your kind of on gotcha. the road already yeah. you're right, familiar yeah. you know you have a feeling of what the supply is you have a feeling of who your competition is and you have a feeling of how much they're making and uh, per night their average and then you have a feel of their occupancy rate based on just checking them out right and i do recommend you to take some notes you know while you're looking at it you know how full is this calendar okay it looks about 50 percent full to me you know how full 
is this place. And then you can um, create your business plan. So what I recommend people to do when they're take, they got all this data, you know, they don't necessarily know how to implement it into their business plan. This is this is the blueprint that I give. Um, make a list of you know all the months of the year, January, February, March, etc. Right, and then write down the the average occupancy rate. So let's say that I and AirDNA is going to tell you what the top ninetieth um, percentile is going for per night. So let's say you you looked at the competition, you see that the 450 per night is is actually much better than what you can offer because they have a right. rooftop pool. Uh, and you kind of see, okay, based on my competition, I think, you know, around 250 or 150 is, you know, where I'm going to start with what I have, right? So then you just write down the occupancy rate that you see on AirDNA for your exact rental. And mm. I think once you look at it, you'll have a feeling of where you where you land. So let's say I had this two bedroom, two bath in Richmond, this apartment, and it's got stainless steel appliances and stuff. But I'm using some kind of old furniture that I inherited. Um, it's clean. It's kind of cute. I've made it eclectic, but it's not luxury. So let's say I'm hoping to get 200 a night average. You know, maybe some nights 150, maybe some nights on the weekends a little more. Then I can say, okay. I think I'm about in the 50 or, you know, 65%. So I look at all the data and then I just basically plug in, you know, I do the math for the year. I see, okay, based on what AirDNA is telling me, I can expect, you know, this occupancy rate for each month. And then with the average price of, let's say, 200, because I know I'm going to charge 250 on some nights and 150 on some nights, and in low season, I'm going to get less. In high season, I'm going to get more. And then we have our initial investment. So our initial investment is going to be the setup cost. So then we just get out the calculator and we see, okay, 50% rate is 14 nights. Uh, 14 nights times 200. Okay, I can expect 2,800 or um, whatever it is, right, for this month. Right. So then you have the whole calculation of your projected income. And then you have your initial investment, which let's say was $3,000 because I happen to have this property um, already. And then I have my recurring expenses, which is somewhere between you know, $100 and $300 a month. That's going to be for utilities, for toilet paper, paper towels, trash bags, and the occasional maintenance call. Okay. So, man, wow. Okay. So... Still, I'm taking notes, so but I'm oh, paying attention at the same time, and I'm thinking to myself as you're you're telling me these things, and I have just a question that I have now uh, as a as someone who will be beginning an Airbnb is okay. Talk to me about why this strategy works so ideal. How much? Why would I? What can I actually expect my my return on investment to come, be recouped? How how soon? Exactly. Yes. So usually the second year statistics of this business plan calculation, the profit is going to be double, triple, quadruple because you don't have that initial setup cost eating out of your budget. Um, but I would say based on if you're setting up from scratch and you have a top 90th percentile, you have a luxury rental, you know, maybe you're going to make it back faster. Maybe you had a big setup cost, but actually you're only getting $100 per night. Uh, then it's going to take you longer to yeah, get back your investment. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And that's, so, go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. 
No, no, that's why I recommend to do the business plan. Okay, got it. So the business plan that we're at now in the stage of is basically sort making sure what's your what's your ROI and understanding what your based on based on understand what your return on investment is and understanding can you live with that. Yes. And that's exactly why I recommend this step as being like what you do before you really call any landlords or anything is because you want to make sure those numbers make sense. Every market is different. You know, uh, let's say a small village in Minnesota, it might have, you know, a very low occupancy rate in certain months, but certain months might be like super high touristic and all the Airbnbs are full and there's not enough demand, right? So then you could build a strategy where let's say you have, you know, 30, you have a six month tenant or a sublet, you know, a longer term tenant in the low season, and then you Airbnb it in the high season. So I would say based on the numbers that you're looking at, you'll see, is this something I want to put my time and energy into? And do these numbers, is it worth it for me? Yeah. So then as a, as a new host, well, I have to worry about cleaning fees. So how do you, uh, how do I, how would I identify um, a cleaner for my property? Yes, this is a really, this is a really special connection that you're going to make with your cleaner. So if you have one property, if you have maybe two in the same area, maybe you have like a friend or someone you know, or maybe a maid that you've been using. So it's more of like a personal experience. But if you're running a a few rentals or a rental that's far away from you, I recommend to get what I call a head cleaner. And this could be a head, this could be a maid service uh, with one person that knows your property. She's kind of designated to you. Um, Or this could be a cleaner that you find that's kind of running her own little operation where she has a lot of cleaner friends that work with her sometimes. And this head cleaner is going to be responsible for your properties. So you just pay her, you just give her the schedule, and then she's going to schedule and she's like running her own little entrepreneurial business. Entrepreneurship business. Yeah. And this to me. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, no. Wait. So you mean to tell me. I am su- I am such a I am such a dog. I am such a hawk. Look, so you mean to tell me that somebody can start out being a cleaning head cleaner for Airbnb properties, make enough money out of the entrepreneurship business from cleaning and flip themselves into an Airbnb host and already have a pipeline of cleaners. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and I'm gonna be honest, they love it because it's wow. not it's not deep cleaning. And they have, and, and let me give you a few pain points first to explain why this is the golden key for cleaners, having a head cleaner, because I did it every other way until I figured this out. And I just happened to figure this out, um, luckily. So I tried to hire cleaning services that specialize in Airbnb, but the turnaround window, usually checkouts around 11 a.m. and check-ins around 3 p.m. So these Airbnb professional cleaner services, they only have four hours to hit all their clients. Mostly period across the, across the County, the state or whatever. Right. Yeah. So they're, they're bum rushing in with a team of five people and they're trying to get in and out in 30 minutes. So the amount of oversight, the times that they didn't change the bed, I was running this in Los Angeles. They left wet towels. There was just like so much oversight because they were in a rush. And um, yeah. And so I'd like some, you know, if a cleaner doesn't do a proper job, 
quickly you get a bad review and something gross happens. It's just yeah. kind of kind of standard when you're hosting thousands of people. So right. you, the cleaner is the most special connection to nurture. You know, for me, my cleaner is my best friend. My cleaner is my bread and butter. My cleaner is my my queen. You know, I don't see her as my employee. I see her as the foundation of if I'm going to eat or not next month, because if she doesn't do a good job, then I'm going to get a bad review and then no one's going to book for a month or two. This is so bananas. Like my brain is like fireworks are just going off inside my brain at this point in time. I have never even thought about how intricate these cleaners are. And if you were absolutely right, if they actually get the the business plan where they can actually serve a host who can refer them to another host or they can just pay them more so they don't go to another host. Like that could be such a powerful tool. Yeah. And that's exactly how I explain the cleaner. I say, spoil them, overpay them and treat them like royalty. That's my cleaner operations philosophy because oh my goodness. I had some other pain points happen where it's just like I hired five cleaners that were separate, you know, they didn't know each other. And then like one had an emergency because she's part time. So she doesn't prioritize me. If her son has an emergency or her, she gets a better cleaning job. She's not going to show up. So I, because I'm only giving part time work, I need these people to be like really not wanting to lose the job because the job is so good. So they need to prioritize me above everything else they have going on in their life. And they need to be flexible because sometimes uh, guests will text you at 1059 and be like, oh, can we extend another day? And my right. cleaner is outside. So then my cleaner, I have to be like, sorry, it's tomorrow. And the cleaner, I'm not going to pay her twice. You know, that's kind of part of the gig. And right. then the next morning she's there and they decide to extend again. So this is a, this is like a, a friendship. I found it to be a friendship because sometimes it's weird. People leave weird stuff. The cleaner's a little bit like, why did they leave that? And then I have to be like, okay, let me just pay you an extra 50 bucks. Right. You know? And uh, yeah, it's, I guess it would be like a symbiotic uh, relationship. It is. It is. Like, because now that is, now you've identified the, the, the pain point of your business. Yes. And then if you hire cleaners that don't know each other, you know, maybe one won't show up and she won't tell you. So I always uh, have like a cleaning checklist and I recommend that host like right when their cleaner gets there, the protocol is they take a picture of the keys and they text it to you. So that means the guest left the keys and I got in here, you know, I know gotcha. it showed up. So yeah. And you know, I found an amazing woman and she had a team of like 10 friends. And so I gave them the cleaning checklist. Uh, I said, look, you need to train each woman or each cleaner on the place at least four times before you send her alone. And then if anything's not done, you know, I just anonymously come in. I'll text you 15 minutes when I'm on the way to the property, let you know I'm coming, but I'm just going to, you know, spontaneously show up sometimes and do kind of check-ins just for quality control. And then I had a system where if anything I found uh, that was not correct, I had like a, like a fine system. So I charge them like five bucks or 10 bucks, you know, oh, you didn't clean out the fridge. You know, that's a big no, no. You know, the fridge is gross inside. There's spilled stuff. This is bad. Uh, this is $10 off, you know? Oh, you we definitely got to get your cleaner on this show. We need, to, <laughs> we need to have your cleaner on this show. I need to know. I need to know the details of what 
the cleaning process really looks like at an Airbnb site. Like nobody probably talks about stuff like this, but definitely for you to have a fine system set up that way, I could imagine the lengths of time people have to go through just to make sure that the house is clean. It may not seem like a lot, but it's impactful enough to where the bid, if you don't get paid or you have to deduct pay or give a client back some uh, funds because something happened, or you may have to give the whole visit free. You that yeah. that house clean, that house cleaner don't get to eat. Exactly. So uh, to to basically summarize it in a nutshell as a takeaway for the listeners and for you as well, I would say first step is, you know, you need to make your ad or make your advertisement or, you know, contact these cleaning services and let them know exactly what you need. You know, I have, I was running six Airbnbs at the same time, six rentals. So that's why I had a team and I got logistics set up because I wanted to make my life as easy as possible. I don't want to be texting six cleaners each day to confirm that they actually showed up and then doing emergency damage control because three of them didn't show up and I need to go clean, right? Or, right. So, um, yeah, I would say first thing is, you know, put out your ad and just let, you know, exactly what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people that are willing to clean my vacation rentals. You know, I pay this much per hour, this much per job. And you kind of put your ad out there with your expectations. That would obviously be the first step. Um, obviously call some maid services, call friends that have cleaners, see if they have a network. But you're looking kind of like for a little posse of cleaners that all want to clean your vacation rentals. They all want that extra client, that extra hustle, that extra income. So for them, it's really valuable to have another client that they can possibly fill in for sometimes, right? Then you right. have this head cleaner lady who she, you give her the schedule, you know, this is this month's schedule. She's gonna, she's gonna pay everybody. She's gonna schedule everybody. You only tell her what's going on. You only pay her. This eliminates so much headache. And then I would recommend people to pay per job because if you pay hourly, they might just hang out there a little longer. Yeah. Yeah. And right. Yeah. You need them gone. You need them out the way so you can get that client in. Yeah. And if you pay by job and don't have any system in place um, that, you know, if they don't do a good job, they lose something, uh, then, you know, they'll just kind of rush in and rush out and there's no quality control there. So, you know, for them, they get paid, you know, $90 or $80 if they're there for an hour or three hours. So, yeah, I'd recommend to have that kind of system. And then I also showed my cleaner Airbnb. I said, this is how Airbnb works. These are my reviews. This is my cleaning score. I said, you know, if I get below a 4.5 on my cleaning score, you're out. I'm sorry. I didn't say it like that. But I'm like, I cannot, I cannot employ you anymore if it's less than 4.5. Because as you see, my average is 4.79. Oh, and, and if I get a bad review, I'm going to lose all my money. And so I let her know, like, you are the success of my business. My business fails directly. My business is in your hands. So wow. I let them know how serious this was. <laughs> wow. Okay. Looked, yeah. That's a this is amazing. That is amazing part of the business. I didn't even take like I see the cleaning fee as and in the in the obviously the invoice that you get, but I never pay attention to like how really serious because you know I did a, actually I stayed at an Airbnb real quick story and I'm not gonna make it we're gonna make it real oh. short. We we did our Airbnb uh we stayed at Airbnb in Vegas and we stayed we it was like North Vegas we went there we stayed at the Airbnb uh, and then when we got up to leave the next day I had to we had to put the linen 
and the towel was in the washer. It didn't have to start it. We just had to put it in there for the cleaner. So I was like, well, the cleaner is coming. Ain't that part of the cleaner's job? But you charge me a cleaning fee? Like, mm -hmm. <laughs> so, but now, but but obviously I'm thinking to myself, like, man, maybe maybe I was doing it. Maybe it was a reason why I had to put the towels and stuff in there now. <laughs> so, okay, got it. Yeah, I like your story. Um, it brings up a really great point. A lot of hosts will ask the guests to take out the trash, take out the recycling, water the plants, um, you know, take the mail inside or to take all the sheets and towels and put them in the washer and start them, you know, and they, that this is part of their business operations, but I don't recommend hosts do that. It really, I don't know if that left a bad taste in your mouth or it, maybe it just, it did, but they waived the pet fee, so, which I didn't expect them to do. So I had, so we, we have a little chihuahua and we brought the oh. chihuahua with us because we was traveling across country uh, to, to Virginia actually. So, and then uh, we brought the Chihuahua with us. And I guess, because even they got a camera in the garage. So I guess when they saw us pull in, they had already charged us the pet fee. But I guess when they saw what type of pet I had, and it didn't really make a damage anything or whatever, they waived the pet fee. So I didn't really care. But if they didn't waive the pet fee, you probably would have left a bad taste in my mouth. Yeah, I don't. I, I highly recommend guests to make like, I mean, hosts to make like a super smooth, comfortable, like, relax. This is your cozy place. No stress. I've thought of everything. You don't need to worry about anything. If anything goes wrong, text me. I'll immediately take care of it. Uh, I really come to hosting with a philosophy. I actually have a chapter. The last chapter of my book is my philosophy about hosting. And I put that at the end just because I it's really opinionated. And it's right. basically like hosting a traveler is a is kind of a sacred duty. It's a job of honor. You know, it costs a lot to go on vacation. It costs so much money. <laughs> and you only have a certain amount of time that you're given off of work mostly. So for most people, this is the reason that they wake up in the morning. This is what motivates them to keep going at the job. You know, this is one of those why I get out of bed because I'm going to go to Aruba or I'm going to go to Las Vegas. I mean, not for everyone, but for a lot of people, it's kind of the goal point of why they take care of all the responsibilities they do. So if you're a host that's not attentive to details and you don't care about the guest experience being super smooth and easy and like they have no responsibilities, then you've potentially caused a lot of harm to someone's life, to their psyche, to their relations, um, because this is a family vacation or this is a, you know, a marriage trip or, you know, you never know what state people are in. And even beyond that, um, vacation is usually the one time where people can be out of their day-to-day -day routine. And because they're in a different environment and a different place, they can access a different part of themselves. Like they can maybe hear their intuition better because they're not in the like horse blinders. Okay, what do I have to do today? Okay, go to work, go to work, go to work. They kind of like open and relax. And then they can kind of reset, recharge, be inspired, you know, release stress. It's, for me, it's a super important job. So right. I don't look I don't look to hosting as like just a cash flow. I see it as an opportunity to serve another person and bring them joy. And then they're gonna appreciate me and give gratitude. And then I get it's it's like a win-win-win situation when you do like what I call like responsible hosting. 
Oh yeah, you have a unique perspective because, like you said, you, you, how you got started was you traveled around the world, twenty countries, oh. and you and you've done, you've seen it all, really and truly, at this point in time when it comes to guest experiences, right? So you do have, you bring a unique perspective where I think where people don't undervalue like travelers in a certain way. Like I won't say everyone under, undervalue travelers, but like when you go like to, I spent ten thousand dollars at Disney World. Like on a on on a on a vacation that I stayed at uh, the Disney Swan, it was a good time. It was a it was on the park, uh, but still, like I don't think I got ten thousand dollars worth of value out of it. You know what I mean? Like uh, so, and then I did it. I did. I stayed at a vacation rental, and uh, when I went to Universal Studios the following year, and I think I spent more on that trip than I did the Disney World trip. And I don't think I got the value out of the place that I stayed at as as part of that value package. So I do see your point and it does make sense that like, if you're going, you want to treat your guests obviously with more uh, luxury than you would expect if you was to actually go on vacation. Yeah. Yeah. I would say just cover the bases. Like, you know, it's your spot, it's your apartment, it's your house, you know, you're the one controlling the experience. So, you know, if something goes wrong, take care of it right away. Don't like right. put it on the back burner for tomorrow. Just make your guests know that you care about them having a good time and that you've now, done everything you can to make sure that the experience is clean, comfortable, and like a good value. I, I got, I was going to move on to our next topic, but I thought of this as I was sitting here talking about guest experience. Um, this was in Vienna. Uh, I, I, so me and my friend, we went to Vienna uh, for vacation. Um, and we went to Vienna and we got from the airport to the, the Airbnb and I lost my wallet. Oh, and no. I got directly to the Airbnb and I realized I didn't have my wallet. And we, and literally I had just checked in with the Airbnb host and everything. And I told the Airbnb host, I think I left my wallet in the taxi and we're in a whole nother country where they don't speak English as first language. Right. So uh, I'm like, man, so I'm talking to him. Luckily, he speaks English. So I'm talking to him, telling him through text that, hey, I lost my wallet. And I don't even know the, I don't even remember if I knew the taxi number or anything of that sort. All I knew was I gave him some type of information. And two hours later, the guy called me back and said, taxi is on his way with your wallet. Oh. The most amazing thing ever. I love that dude a huge tip. Huge oh, yeah. tip. Like I was like, it's no, I was like, I had no expectation of getting this wallet back. My vacation was already ruined before it started in my mind. I like, I don't want to do nothing. I can't believe I'm here. They ain't got my money. I ain't got my ID. I ain't got nothing but my passport. And the man, the taxi driver pulled back up to the Airbnb with the wallet laying right in the floor where it was at. I was like, wow, this is like the most amazing, probably by far the best Airbnb experience I had. Cause it was a nice place, but then also to get that back, that's probably like best experience I had. Cause I was like, man, this is going to be terrible. Mm. Yeah, yeah. See, that's amazing. And I will say there is another part about Airbnb that supports this idea is that, you know, the guests are going to review you at the end. And if your review score affects how much your listing is seen and what price you mm. can charge. So um, I always tell people the golden key of starting, of course, is the number one finding the best real estate wide angle lens photographer you can find in your area. But besides that, it's managing your guest expectations. So what have I said on the listing that, you know, they're going to get, you know, right. what is the experience they're getting? And then when they come, I need to meet those expectations, but I need to gently exceed them. 
that could be leaving a few bags of microwave popcorn, you know, with a movie suggestion or something that could be having a puzzle. You know, it can be a few chocolates, a few nice waters in the fridge, you know, and you just say, right. hey, I left you guys some waters. You know, it doesn't need to be anything. You don't need to get them a shiki um, thing of wine or anything. It doesn't need to be hard. <laughs> this 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 right. little bonus. It just basically says, I care that you're here. I'm thinking of you. I got you. If you need something, hit me up. And depending on the country and the place you're going, your Airbnb host can become your local tour guide and your friend too. Like absolutely. My hosting style was really like, I'm never going to see you really because I have a self check-in, but I've left you a local guide with a binder of my favorite suggestions. Before you arrived, I asked you if you wanted me to recommend anything so you can plan your trip. And I said, text me, call me anytime I'm here you know, I live not far away. So they feel like fully encompassed that they're safe and that they're cared for, which is the emotional support is a super important component for like starting off on the right foot with the guests, I'd say. Um, but then I had like a little bonus. So then they're like, wow, this is better than I thought. And then they leave, like leaving me all five stars. There's no question because not only did I make them feel like safe and cared for, but I gave them a little surprise. Right. So let's, man, that's amazing. That is great part. So let's, let's navigate to the part of the course. Let's talk about the course for a bit. How, uh, well, how you, how did you structured the course and you've established this course to help people get started, but then you've also made it to where they can get pretty much access to you if they really want to get access to you as well too, right? Yeah, definitely. So I wrote a book in 2018. That's actually and I how- have. It was a great read. It's a quick read, too, but I, it was a great book. Yeah, that's how Craig found me. It's called Airbnb Beginner's Guide to Hosting, How to Set Up and Run Your Own Airbnb Business. It's a super quick read, about three hours. It has like a cleaning checklist. It has a local guide. It has basically some blueprints, but it really starts at, you know, you have a property. You're sure you want to do this. Okay, how do you jump into furnishing, setting your pricing, and you know all the kind of ins and outs of the responsibilities. So it's very like a practical guide. The course is really set up for one-on-one support for people who are aspiring Airbnb hosts. So let's say you, you have this property, you're thinking about it, or you have a savings and you're ready to invest. Maybe you even wanna buy a multifamily, which we can talk about uh, too as well about that strategy, but you know you really, just want to get started, but you need to do your due diligence first. So I've basically laid it out into nine lessons. And the first lesson, you know, we go into, you know, what is this job about? You know, what do you do as a host? What are your responsibilities? What does your daily life look like? What are your options? If you want to hire a co-host, if you want to hire a company to take care of it for you, like what does the actual business feel like? And then we move into doing the competition research, doing the air DNA. I have guides set up where you just, you know, you read the guide, you look at the data, you answer the questions that I put there. Um, It's not a super long course. I think there's a hundred minutes of video. So it's about an hour and a half of video. And then you have these step-by-step guides with a workbook. So you're basically, it's interactive. You're just going through the workbook, going through the lessons, going through the thing, and you're learning, right? So I teach about the cleaning operations. I teach about all the management techniques, 
because you don't have to host the guests or manage the cleaners. You can hire someone to do that for you. There's even a company called Evolve that's just started up. I think I might have mentioned that um, when I first spoke to you last year. And they take 10%. So they'll do uh, the photos for you. They'll put your place on VRBO, Airbnb, and Booking.com if you want with professional copywriting, professional photos, and they will market it for you and get top dollar for you. They take 10%, but then you just have your cleaners and your maintenance man set up for them to contact and that's separate. So in that case, you wouldn't have to do any of the hosting whatsoever, any of the communications. And 10% is actually kind of a small fee to have that kind of professional service. So that's one technique you could go with. You could also do everything yourself. Um, there are many different options. And what I explain in the course as well is like you can start in one place as a do-it-yourself. Then you can move to hiring someone to take a certain point for you. And then you can move it completely to a property management, vacation rental management if you want. You can expand to other platforms. So there I kind of walk you through what your options are. And we make a business plan. So I have case studies. I have the blueprint where you just fill in the numbers, you know, to have your projections, your ROI for the first year and for the second year. And what's really interesting about the case examples is that you'll see, let's say the first year profit is 15,000, but then you see the second year profit is uh, 45,000 because you've made back your investment. You now are a super host. You can charge more. You're showing up more on the algorithm, things like that. So yeah, I would say that the course uh, really covers the due diligence of making sure this is right for you, holding your hand through making the business plan, holding your hand, looking at the data and the competition, really vetting and showing you what your options are for hosting. And that I think is the most important because a lot of Airbnb courses, a lot of Airbnb experts or teachers, you know, they're teaching you their formula. So they did rental arbitrage. They did, you know, this thing. They give you scripts to talk to landlords, things like that. I would say the focus on my course is making sure that this is right for you in your local market and then showing you how to design the business to fit your chosen lifestyle. So let's say you're a full-time mom and you don't want to be available from this hour to this hour. And in all honesty, you'd really only work, like to work three days a week and be involved. The four days you'd like to have someone else take care of it for you. All of this is possible with Airbnb. And then I walk you through how to hire the cleaners, you know, what to what to say with them, how to organize them, and then of course how to get reviews. I explain the review system. So yeah, I would say it's like super comprehensive, but really targeted to people who are aspiring hosts and they're just thinking about it, but they're not sure. Oh well, that's amazing. So like, I think this course is going to be helpful for a lot of people. I'm actually interested in this course and. You know, I'm actually like, man, I got to get into this course myself. Like you got me so intrigued into what you've uh, already put out on. Like I said, I got notes for days already here. But for the, the audience today, right, Lauren has uh, actually came on and said, you know what, Craig, while, while, while I'm here, I'm going to actually discount this thing for people who actually want to get into this course in the next three weeks, 20 percent off. Right. Yeah. So totally. let's, talk about those, let's talk about the price tiers. Yeah. Excellent. So. I, I will say that, you know, many people think about, you know, what do I want for my life? What do I want to do with my life? What kind of work do I see myself in? What's my ideal lifestyle? And some of us don't allow ourselves to even dream that far 
because we have so many day-to-day responsibilities, it's like, okay, I just need to focus here. Um, but where I kind of come at with this Airbnb course and with my program and supporting a new Airbnb hosts is like freedom. Because for me, freedom can come in many different forms. If it's financial freedom, if it's time freedom, if it's energetic freedom, is freedom to do what you want or you know be yourself. Um, I would say that this course is designed to give you the kind of freedom that is most important to you. So if the financial freedom is the most important, then we'll just focus on cash flow and reinvesting, automating and scaling. Right. Um, If it's more important for you, your time schedule, right, that you just don't want to be involved, but you want to make money on this, then we'll design the business like that. So I have the course set up. Um, You can use the promo code Craig for the next three weeks. That's going to be until, you know, around January 11th there, and it's going to be 20% off. And the course price is $399. And that comes with all the videos, all the guides. And it also comes with one-on-one email support for me for, for two months. So if you're starting up and you're going through the course and you have a question or you want me to send me some screenshots, look at your listing, look at your copy, you can email me and I will support you for two months uh, with the, just with buying the course. Then I have what I call my program, which is $799, but I think you'd be getting that for around $550, something like that with the, with the promo code. And there I'm going to do a one-on-one strategy session with you. So we'll meet on Zoom. The meeting can be one hour. It can be two hours. It can be three hours. It doesn't matter. You show me all your dreams, all your hopes. And this is where I like to reverse engineer. So I want to hear what's your, I want you to dream big. I want you to tell me in the perfect world, what would my life look like if you dare, you know, imagine yourself there and let's reverse engineer your business plan from that point. Okay. Where do we start? You know, what's the next milestone and all those kinds of things. So we do the strategy session for you of how you want to go about this. And then you go through the course. You have unlimited email support with me uh, for three months. And you can always book additional one-on-ones if you want. And then I have what I call is my mastermind. That's a six-month program. So we'll meet every, um, every week on Zoom. And we'll have a video call. And we'll build your business together for six months Every single week, you can email me. I'll help you with research, and I'll just be holding your hand throughout the process. And that one is seven thousand dollars, but I would say with the discount, it's going to be something around fifty-five hundred for you guys. And then you'll have something like twenty-something one-on-one meetings with me. That's amazing! Wow. Yeah, I just want to. I just really want to pass on the freedom that I've been able to cultivate because for me, like the financial freedom is fantastic. But the lifestyle freedom was really what was most important to me. That is what a lot of people, uh, I think, are putting more value into lately, but they don't realize they're putting that value back into it. Because that's the same thing. I'm on, I'm on getting my time and my life back. You know, like, just do whatever I want to. Like, that's what we talked about before we came on the air. Um, so I appreciate that. View. For any listener who doesn't take advantage of this, don't come back to this show and talk about, can you have Lauren back on so she can give us some more details? And you didn't have the opportunity to take advantage of this at a 20% discount today for the next three weeks. And she was even more gracious enough to say, if you're listening to this in the future and you're not here with us today or within us in the next three weeks, if you want, if you come out, stumble across this in the next six months after the 20% discount, you can still get access to these courses with a 10% discount using the promo code Houston. 
Yes, exactly. And I really want to one-on-one, as I said, reverse engineer it with you guys. I really feel like everybody's Airbnb host journey is totally unique and totally different. And that's where my course, that's where my service is coming from. Um, I really don't think it's like a one shoe fits all situation here. And that is perfect because that's what a lot of these other courses are probably uh, or the Airbnb gurus are doing. They're trying to tell you how they did it and you should follow their blueprint where you're taking the opportunity to say, look, this shoe may not fit you, but we can find something that really works for you and help you the best way we possibly can get you in the right direction. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And as I highlighted, I think throughout this conversation, like, you know, it could be a spare room, it could be your friend, it could be a family property, it could be a, you know, a beach villa, it could be, you know, a weird, tiny little place near the airport. I mean, there is an Airbnb host, uh, you know, supply for everybody, for wherever they're at on their vacation on their business trip. I mean, even some people rent out camping spaces, you know, on Airbnb, right. just a, a place to put your tent. So I just found that this was a, like, you know, with real estate, I mean, I, I think buying and selling real estate actually has like a lot more investment and a lot more, you know, you really need to know about the equity and what you can do with the mortgage and things like that. But with Airbnb, if you just do these first few steps of due diligence, you know, just make sure that there's no legislation that's going to make your investment illegal in a few months, right? That's just like right. a, a quick check we do. And then we do the business plan. We just see, okay, what are my actual projections for the first year and the second year? And then we go for the niche, which is based on everything I've seen. That was my next question. Look at you. We're, we're, oh, we're, nice. We're, I just realized that was a big missing. No, we, 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 was coming, we was coming to that, but you are already on it. So let's get it. Let's, let's get it. That was nice. my question next. Exactly. So you've looked at all your competition. You've written down what they're doing, what they're not doing, what you have, what you don't have. You know that you need to get a wide angle professional real estate photographer. They're not all equal. You know, you really want someone that understands your selling and guest experience in the vacation. It's not just like photographing every corner for a house for sale. We really want someone that's going to capture the ambience and the mood. And we're going to stage the house a little bit. We're going to turn on the lights, open the curtains, have a lot of natural sunlight coming in. And we want to make, we want to optimize the look of the property. So I would say getting the, the photography right is really important, but we just want to really check that, you know, this is going to be profitable and then design it um, to stand out. So what does nobody have that I can get? You know, what the, what can I put in my place that no one else has? And it can be something as simple as like buying two yoga mats and you have a backyard and you say, okay, you know, I have yoga mats for you. If you want to do yoga out sunset yoga, you know, and like, you, mm. I mean, that's like a, a kind of a silly example, but um, you know, you could also have a popcorn maker and you can be like, by the way, you know, enjoy movie night on our sink in couch with the smart TV or whatever. And you're basically providing experiences that people can have in your space. It's right. not like you need to have a jacuzzi. You don't need to have any of these particular fancy things. Um, you could get blackout curtains. That's something that's a super quick and easy uh, attraction for people. Some people don't sleep well. Uh, I don't know exactly what the investment would be, but basically looking at what your competition has and then seeing what nobody has that you can get and then put inside your listing. That is going to be a no-brainer. They see your photography, which is not just about showing that you got a good photographer. The photography is communicating visually very strong, 
you know, I'm safe, I'm trustworthy, I'm professional. This is a good value. This is a professional rental. Um, so that's like really important to get bookings for conversion. But then also you're just going to be offering a few little unique things that no one else has that you're sure no one else has. And in general, I'd say when you're writing your copy and description, you want to be not just saying, you know, I have this, 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 this. You describe the experience. So enjoy a movie night in the wraparound couch, you know, with our Roku. Um, you know, enjoy a cup of tea outside on the patio, you know, in the backyard. So you're basically kind of right. painting a picture right. of what they're going to do in your space. Telling the story through a description and make me want to stay. Yeah, but I would say, like, getting to your point, and also my point about the niche, too, is, like, that also depends on demographic. So this is where it gets a little more um, complex, but it's still, it's I think it's still pretty understandable. So based on the space you have, the location, what you saw in the competition, and then also your personal comfort zone, you know, I've had some consultations with clients where it's, like, they're retiring, and they want to set up their Airbnb for older travelers. They're like, mm -hmm. I want to decorate and, you know, have like people over 50 stay here. That's what I feel comfortable hosting. Those are the kind of travelers that I want to talk to. So let's decorate and organize the listing to where it's kind of like more of the baby boomer generation would be attracted to it. There's some hosts that are like, you know what? I want to have this like bubble on my property. I'm ordering this bubble and I want to make this really unique, you know, alien themed experience. And, you know, I want to charge this much per night and I'm going to give them these treats when they arrive and they create more of like a thematic experience. And they're, they, you know, that's more like Gen Z millennial or, you know, they have like a specific demographic they're going after for that. Some people just want to be family friendly. They want to have, okay, this place, you know, is like comfortable. It has all the functional things that a family would need because family travelers are in general a higher ticket. They have a bigger budget for the vacation. And if you have those few little games for the kids, if you have a few little baby things and you say, you know, I'm a family friendly host on your listing, amazing. If you want to go into the niche of businessman, you know, business travelers, and you want to have a few business friendly amenities and highlight those, have a little office nook set up, you know, get the fastest Wi-Fi that you can, tell the speed of your Wi-Fi. You want to attract business travelers. Maybe you're near an airport. Maybe you're near a business center. Um, you can kind of pick and choose who you specifically want to target and that would be your niche and i say that would affect your decorations probably and the aesthetic of your place but it doesn't necessarily need to be that way you can uh, you can just set up a, a nice looking place and attract everybody you know right so now would you get any of this demographic data from air dna I, I don't think that they they don't have any of this okay. particular gotcha. i would say this is more of like a like a soft kind of soft skill in the analyzation. Gotcha, 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 gotcha. Yeah. That's, and that's where you're going with. I was just trying to see if there would, would there be some type of resource or tools for people who would not be able to identify easily for themselves. Yeah, I can give a few tips on that. So first thing is going to be like, are you starting from scratch with a big budget? Or are you, you already have a bunch of furniture and you have a smaller budget and you're just going to be kind of like, piecing together what you can to tie together what you already have access to for free. Mm -hmm. A lot of hosts start like that. Um, so then it would be, you know, what can I do with what I have versus I'm designing an experience from scratch, you know, 
And if you're designing from scratch, you have a lot of flexibility because you can do a minimalist design. And that's actually really attractive to a lot of travelers. So, and it also depends your location, like the cottage example right. that I gave. Um, if you're near an airport, you know, I would put some convenience things like, you know, make it more convenient so people that are coming in and out of the out airport can come fast. And yeah, in general, I'd say the demographic is definitely more of a soft skill, but it depends too, I guess, on your personality, um, who you're more comfortable interacting with and what your style is. You know, a lot of hosts might just want to decorate in, a, in an environment that they would feel comfortable in. And then they attract guests that share that similar aesthetic. Um, it's, it's a little more tricky if you're going to totally design a new Airbnb with an interior design that you don't really enjoy and that you don't have any familiarity with uh, picking a style. But if you have a big budget, I would recommend hiring an interior designer. I think it's definitely worth it because when you get the right look and the right aesthetic and the right photography and the right operations in the right market, this is a super profitable business. I mean, I'm talking you make back your initial investment in the first few months and then you're in profit you know, from there on a few thousand dollars a month. I mean, there are many, many, many stories of, you know, 21, 22 year olds making a hundred grand a month because they just picked the right location and, you know, had a nice aesthetic and they were attracting the people. If you're in a big city, you can go for, um, you know, a more detailed niche, I would say, because there's much more people coming through. If you're in a smaller place, you may want to be a little bit more generalized. Okay, so we're uh, that's that's great targeted information because that's what I really was wanting to know. How did you uh, identify niches in certain areas if you needed to? And I think my next question is, but one of the things that you kind of you glanced at for a minute, but you said we'll come back to, and I really want to talk about multifamily. Okay, so how how does one take advantage of multifamily as we decide to wrap this up here on? Uh, Basically, what's the advantages of having a multifamily property and turning that most of that into Airbnb? Seventy-five percent, eighty percent of it into Airbnb. Amazing. So, do you want me to start with talking about like looking for a multifamily to invest in and then turning it into an Airbnb, or if someone like already knows they want to buy a multifamily and what would be the advantage? No, why? Well, no, why not, Lauren? Let's talk about it from the standpoint of let's even identify how to get to uh, an investment property of a multifamily. I like that. I like the topic. That's right up my alley. I love it. <laughs> amazing, 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 amazing. So yeah, I actually um, in the past few months actually learned a lot on this topic and came to my attention that there are a few different options. Um, you probably know about being in the military and the Navy and stuff. There's a special kind of loan available. Uh, yeah, for it's, you. A, it's the VA loan or uh, most people uh, you get a uh, multifamily either on a VA loan or FHA loan if they can. That's what they're yeah. really. FHA, you get three and a half percent down. And then if you're doing a VA loan, if you're a veteran, you qualify for zero, zero no money down, right? <laughs> no money down. And all you have to do is... Uh, put earnest money in and hopefully if you get seller, well, you're in a market now where seller concessions may be a thing. So if you get seller concessions, the seller may give you the closing costs to close the property. You just walk into a house with no, uh, no payment. Yes, exactly. So yeah, in the last few months I learned, like I said, a lot more on this topic. Um, so basically there exists this amazing investment opportunity. Right. 
in America. <laughs> it's called the FHA loan of yep. multifamilies. So I believe the credentials are like a 580 credit score, more or less. Uh, right about there, yep. Yeah, 3.5, I mean, minimum. Uh, then we have a 3.5% down. And then you can basically launch yourself into a multifamily property. So that's going to be yeah. a duplex. That's going to be a three unit apartments. It could be a home. It could be a small apartment building or four, right? Um, yeah. You could also do this without the FHA, but it's going to be, I think, 10, 15, 20%. Yeah, you can get a conventional. Well, I, think, I think you can get a conventional. I have now. I have, I have a lender friend who was just on the podcast yesterday. I should have asked him this. But I think you can get a conventional with like... Um, 10%, I think you can get 10% down. You don't have to put the full eight, you don't have to put the full 20 down, but it just it still just mean your PMI is gonna be higher. But on FHA as well, too, just one caveat is depends on um what county that you live in, the max that you can have is like 90,000 in uh income. That's like the mm. max of FHA, yeah. So if you make over 90, if you're not in a, in a special county, you only can get that property up to that to that income. Well, your income can only be that much to get the FHA loan qualification. Oh, okay. I didn't know there was an income cap for that. Yeah, there, there's an income cap. Like it's like here in uh, like it's so crazy, right? Because like um, you, it's supposed to be for like um, fair. You know, FHA loans are pretty much for uh, properties around the county where they like in lower income areas to where you can still qualify for. But there's properties in Virginia Beach where you can qualify for a bigger cap on your income, where it's like 120. I think is the cap. So uh, like it's really weird. It's like a it's like a map outline in your county where they show where FHA income uh, limits are are pushed higher depends on the area yeah wow that's that's yeah. new information to me and i mean imagining that that's just one area and then you imagine the whole united states what kind of varying um yeah so i, I think it's, i don't know if it's based on city or county but i know it's based on um just that knowing virginia right now virginia beach is like the only county where you can actually see the cap go to 120 from from 90 Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. Yeah. So, so this is like very, very interesting, this investment route. So there are a few different options here and feel free to chirp in and add, cause I think you'll, you'll also know more than me in certain aspects of this for sure. But like, you can even do this with a partner. So let's say, you know, you have the cash and they have the 580. Oh, you need two years of um, employment, yep. right? You right. Have two years right. Of taxes. You gotta be able to show that you have taxes for two years. You're right about that. Yeah. A w, W2, right? W2. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you need the 580, the W-2, and then you need, um, you know, this income for the for the down payment and adjusted what your income is. You can do this with someone uh, where and then the agreement is, is that let's say it's a hundred thousand dollar building. You're going to put three point five percent down. So that's three thousand five hundred dollars. How much would you say is like maybe a, a low ball for the closing costs on that? Uh, we always tell people to prepare for at least 6% of closing costs. Usually it rounds around about 4%, but typically you never know what other things may pop up that you may have to take care of to close. So about uh, 6% is rough, but you usually come around by 4 4.5%. Great. So I'm going to paint this picture as like a, you and a business partner. Maybe it's a sister or a parent or something like that for the listeners. But you can also just imagine yourself doing this yourself if you have all those things already. So Let's say, you know, I don't have a W-2 because I've been self-employed for quite a while, right? So I could potentially, you know, partner with my sister. She hasn't had a steady job for two years. She's got the, the credit score, but maybe I have the cash, right? So we make a legal contract together. We find this multi-unit, you know, four, four studios, 
um, maybe like newly renovated turnkey stainless steel, you know, totally up to code, looking nice in a in a decent location. Because one thing people need to know also, when you do Airbnb, a lot of out of town travelers have no idea where they are. Sure don't. <laughs> if you can just highlight, like, you know, I'm 10 minutes away from this amazing thing. I'm two minutes away from this amazing cafe. You know, whatever. If you can highlight the benefits of the location and easy access points, you know, it doesn't matter if you're in the downtown hotspot you could be five minutes from the hotspot say you're five minutes from it and even say i'm in a quiet place that's not bothered by the noise of the hotspot there's so many ways to position your rental right based on what you're working with um but yeah let's say me and my sister are going in on this so we need you know a hundred thousand dollars for you know four studios then let's say we need seven thousand dollars basically to cover everything and it's turnkey right and we're gonna scrounge around for furniture so I think the reg the rule is one person, the main person, you know, that's doing this FHA, they need to live in one of the uh, units for a year. Right. And the te technicalities of that is like six months of the year you need to sleep there or something like that. Right. And if you want no, if you want exemption from the capital gains tax rules, you got to live there two years. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, so you get a capital gains tax um, a, a exemption if you if you're single. It's up to one twenty five, I believe. It's one twenty five single, and I think two fifty uh, married if you're actually living property as your primary residence over two years. Okay, great. So in this example, let's say my sister, she's going to move in. She's super happy because she's in her twenties and she's single, and she's like, "Oh wow, I'm a real estate investor now. I don't mind living in this studio alone." Right. So she's really flexible. She's there. Well, we furnish all the other Airbnbs and Richmond, uh, where my sister lives. It has um, it's it's a decently sized city and people come in to visit family. There's a good flow of travelers coming through Richmond using Airbnb. So let's say we make each apartment uh, a different theme. Right. We have like this one, that one, that one. And we show on our listing, you know, I'm a super host. I have these three available. And then you have one listing where you rent out all of them together. So then it's like parties of 10, parties of 15, people coming into town for weddings, things like that. They can all stay near each other and they have this kind of fun, you know, Instagram friendly, uh, Airbnb unique experience, right? And then the, the cash flow that's coming in from these Airbnbs, I can then show, you know, later what my cash flow was. Because maybe you can elaborate a little bit more on this, Craig, but multi-units are their value is determined by their cash flow. Yep. Facts. If you're if you're if it's not your primary residence and you're renting it out, uh the, the value, the appraisal value is actually on cash flow value. It's the intent of the, the cash flow. So mm -hmm. your your property, if you ever wanted to go back to list it on the market, you wouldn't be listing it for as a primary residence. You'll be showing it as the value of how much it actually uh, appraises for based on how much cash flow it actually generated over the years. Exactly. And this is where you're just printing money from thin air, because let's say, you know, I hired a broker um, or, you know, I'm going to pay my broker, real estate broker, the fee, you know, for the closing. And I get this broker that finds me an amazing deal, right? It's this newly renovated place. It was vacant for, you know, half vacant for the last two years. So there's like no, there's been no cash flow on it, right? It's been losing money. So I'm getting the value of it is low because it yeah. wasn't generating cash. So the, the price point I'm buying it, 
versus how much I'm going to make by doing Airbnb. Because when I have a successful Airbnb that's running, I'm making much more than long-term tenants. You know, let's say these studios, I would get 1,000 because they're an amazing location and they're, you know, uh, turnkey renovated. And then, you know, I would be getting 3,000 a month in tenant rent. But let's say, you know, I've made these super cool studios and I'm getting 150 a night and in each Airbnb I'm bringing in 4,000 so I'm bringing in 12,000 a month on these three you know Airbnbs. that is so weird because now I have now now I'm now I'm like running as you were talking about this I'm running through my head I don't even know if appraisers are even doing that that is a good question considering Airbnb income yes yes I don't even know if they're doing that uh, meaning like they like legally they can do that or I don't I, I've never heard of a situation I've never heard of a situation where the appraiser was you was collecting Airbnb information from the owner the seller to utilize in their appraised value I haven't heard that one yet oh okay okay but that may yeah, be a I, thing. I just don't I just don't know that for a fact yeah, yeah, I have seen I have seen some real estate investors um, discussing this and talking about how they were going to meetings of investors and developments where they were going to do this model to generate and up the cash flow. So I can imagine it may vary based on um, wherever you are, what city. No, I'm, I'm going to find me an appraiser. I'm going to ask because I, I really I, that's really interesting. Because why would you? Why would it not count? Because you would be making more money uh, essentially instead of having a tenant. And if you can approve to a buyer that you're buying something from me that's going to generate you a cash cow, if you just follow the business model, why would I not get the value from that? Yeah. And I can imagine there being like a like a wiggle room in between. Like for the example I gave, you know, 3000 because, for example, my sister is staying in one. So there are only three units available. Uh, I would get 3000 just with long term tenants or I would get 12000 a month with this Airbnb model. Um, there are like expenses, you know, in the Airbnb, uh, a little bit more than long-term tenants. Obviously I'm doing furniture, I'm buying bedding, I'm, my utilities might be higher or, or not, depends. Uh, but there are some expenses, but you know, when I'm going to sell that property, I can show, you know, based on these numbers and, you know, my return on investment, this is what this building could be worth, you know, if you follow the business model, but I'm willing to take, you know, like right in the middle, like half, like as if I was making 7,000 a month. But yeah, this particular point is great to highlight in general with real estate that people know that because even if you find a broker that finds you a great deal, it's had no cash flow, it's been kind of empty. And then you, you do some building upgrades um, and you get some new tenants that are paying more. You've just printed money. You've just raised the value of the property and then you can sell it you can get the equity, buy another property, and you can just continue to print money from thin air because you're, you know, enhancing this calculation to your benefit. That is amazing. Like, I'm, I'm really interested in uh, learning more about that because this multifamily thing does make sense. It makes so much sense to do it that way. And I think one of the fair, the fair things that we, hopefully we see over the next few years is that regulation comes in to help this business model take off a little bit more and be more seamless. Um, but really and truly, that is an interesting take because not only is the equity going up in the property that someone's going to want to buy, but then the cash flow on top of that equity uh, compounds it into a big, a big deal. Like you could almost get two or three of those and live on those for ten years and then sell them, and then that's probably could be like 
<laughs> income that you never have to worry about ever again in your life. It could be life changing income. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, let's say, you know, we got this, this building for a hundred thousand and then we were just able to upgrade it, you know, maybe market it as a cool building for young entrepreneurs. Maybe we put some, you know, cool art in the, in the entrance or made something, you know, we made like a, an experience or a theme to this multifamily or, you know, we advertised it, that it's for, you know, young entrepreneurs or anyway, I don't know exactly. Cause it wouldn't necessarily have a lobby. But let's just say we upgraded the building that we bought, you know, and we're we're looking for tenants, you know, and trying to attract certain kinds of tenants and they're willing to pay more. Right. Right. So then based on my cash flow from the last two years, uh, from what it was before when I bought it, the, the appraised value is now, you know, double or one point five. So I've just printed fifty thousand dollars for myself, right. basically. Based on you just running a small business inside of a, of a home. They'll be doing the operations just yes. and, and just in, enhancing the operations. And I think a lot of people who uh, just do real estate investing, this is just what they're doing. They're just looking for deals. Then they're going to get new tenants, change the calculations, and then they're just going to sell it, have that to reinvest in another property. And they just keep doing that. And after two or three of these deals, they're a millionaire. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, I, li it I, like, I like the details of this. Yeah, and a lot of people have um, credit cards, like with fifteen thousand, ten thousand, or they take out, you know, three new credit cards. Each have a three thousand limit. So essentially, you could buy a piece of real estate <laughs> with a yeah. credit card, and then you know, uh, become yeah, a thanks. landlord. Yeah, and and you know, it is it's is good to throw in a little bit of realistic threat to this business model, which is like, sometimes tenants don't move out, you know, sometimes tenants make problems. There are things as, you know, landlord issues that you have to deal with with tenants, but I'd rather have my place stay empty a little longer, find the right tenant that I feel more comfortable with then quickly fill my vacancies and kind of roll the dice. That's so crazy. Like, like I didn't pay you to say that either. Like that is so crazy that you just said that, like without me even bringing it up, because that's what I said like two podcasts ago. I said it's like two or three podcasts ago where people are living a life now where they don't even care if they get a tenant for 60 days. Like <laughs> they know they're charging so much rent right now that they'll rather have a place be vacant for 60 days and find the right tenant like you just suggested and put that person in it versus giving you a discount at seventeen hundred dollars to move in. They're just they're just forking over themselves. And get the right person that who's going to pay the premium. No, I have direct experience with this. <laughs> uh, I will say problematic tenants are like literally a nightmare, you know? Yeah. So that's a, that's a podcast for a different day. We definitely got to have a podcast on that. That's amazing. Wow. Oh, like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Wow. Laura, this has been so much fun. Uh, I appreciate this time. I am glad that however long it took for us to get this together, we finally made it happen. Um, where can the audience find you if they want to get in contact with you? Yeah, so they can definitely find me on Facebook. They can all definitely find me on my website. They can also find me directly in the course Teachable, and they can also find me uh, on Amazon with the book. So I'll definitely be sure to have all those links in the show notes for everybody. 
So depending on how they want to contact me. And also I'm a brand ambassador for Airbnb, which basically means Airbnb has reached out to me and said, hey, if you mentor new hosts for us, we'll pay you kind of a big bonus. So if you use my link and you sign up for your new hosting, you'll get direct access to me on Airbnb and you can send me unlimited messages throughout your hosting journey. Uh, you just need to be a new host and you know make your first listing with my link. So that's a free way to get mentorship from me. Um, I do highly recommend the course for all the reasons we've discussed today. I just really want you to vet your dream before you, um, you know, completely dive into it. And also, I want you to take action. I really want you to take action and start this business. You know, it's totally possible. It's totally amazing. I just want to make sure that you have all the legs to the business set up first, um, so you don't find yourself down the line feeling discouraged like that. I think that people will actually, I, I, I want, I'm going to have to check back in on you and see how many people actually uh, signed up for this course. Cause I think this is a, a people always say they want to do something. People always say they want to make the, the change in their life to make more money, make more income, live the life they want to live. And right now I, I really feel like there's a blueprint that you already outlined on how they can actually do this. And it will, it's not going to be easy, folks. I don't want anyone to think that what Lauren is suggesting is totally easy at all. It's going to be pain. There's going to be pain in anything that you want to come to the other side of as a success story. And you got to be willing to understand that you got to make the investment. You got to deal with the struggle. You got to learn through the struggle and then understand how to eliminate the things that were the obstacles in your struggle to actually get to the other end. of. So that to me is what you are providing the opportunity to do. And people are, and, and, and honestly, I'm not going to even sit, not even sit here and try to like act like you're giving a, a discount on this, like discount on the pain, right? So you should, people should be jumping for joy for it. And you know, you could have gave it away for free and nobody would sign up for it. Like you may get a lot more people to sign up for it because you actually put a price on it. Yeah, 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 exactly. And you know what I will say though, um, it definitely takes hard work. And I would say there's not that much struggle or pain if you have the right mindset. And mm. for me, the, the right mindset is actually really easy to come by because this is like a really rewarding, flexible, customizable business. So like when I was getting everything set up, I was so excited because I knew that I was going to be my own boss and that I was going to meet people and that I was going to provide joy to people. So because of the review system, you get instant feedback on how you're doing. So, you know, I set everything up nice. I had great photography. I took care of people. Anything I wasn't doing, people let me know. And then I could instantly do it. And then once you hit that sweet spot of you kind of know what you're doing, you're getting all these amazing reviews. And then you're getting these letters like this long of like, we had the best vacation. We had so many, you know, family experiences. We'll never forget in your place. I mean, I've gotten literally hundreds of, you know, thank you letters that just give me full chills, right? So it's like you put good energy in, you put good intention in, you work hard to make it clean, you work hard to make it beautiful, you find the best photographer you can, and then you get like all this gratitude back. It's not like you're you're serving and getting taken advantage of. It's not like all, you know, someone else is profiting from your work. You get direct benefits based on the the effort that you put in, and actually you get people being really nice to you. And I'm yet to find any job or any business where people are nice to me because I did a good job. 
you know, like really nice to me. Like really, the better really, I do really at my job, impactful. the kinder people are to me. Yeah. And you know, like, you know, in general in life, when you get those thank you letters of like, you know, what you did for me made a difference in my life and I'll never forget it. And I couldn't have done it without you. I mean, just the, the energetic fulfillment and the kind of the soul food that comes with that to enjoy your life and to have a good positive self image and to have motivation to keep going and to get through the struggles and the pains of living a human life. Right. So it's, it was such a, I actually got off social media when I started Airbnb hosting because I was getting so much fulfillment just from chatting with my guests. Like I was having so much fun being like, hey, where are you? How's it going? Oh, good. Oh, did you go to this bistro? Oh, you you loved it? Oh, they're sending me selfies of them and the places I recommended. Like I was having fun, you know, like hosting these people. They became my new friends. And a lot of people are scared about welcoming strangers into the, their homes and stuff. But I I had a few people that were just those people that see life as a, as a terrible experience and mm-hmm. all they have to, how they have to say is a complaint. There were like a few of those out of the 4,000 guests that I had. And other than that, it was just like really nice people having a great time. Wow. Well, Lauren, we are definitely going to have to catch up again. Um, I can't believe that we made this episode happen. And I think this is going to be so rewarding for a lot of people. If you, if the audience does not have notes like I have, have rewind this video to catch some of the things that you have dropped nuggets on, they are totally missing out. Um, I, I appreciate this tremendously. Uh, this has been a work in progress for a long time, and we have both came full circle on all the things that we said we was doing at the same time to make, and then we made this video happen. So um, once again, I want to thank you, and I appreciate the time. Thanks so much, Craig. I really encourage all the listeners to send me an email. I'll put my email in there. And like, I'm super happy just to get you guys, get your wheels turning. You know, that's really what I want to do is activate you to start taking uh, steps towards your, towards your dream. We're going to put everything, everywhere that you can contact Lauren. We're going to put it in the show notes and we're definitely going to make sure you get the links to her, uh, her teachable course. So that way you can actually take advantage of that as well. So, yeah. Lauren, will you stand by for, oh, go, you got one more thing? Yeah, I would say right now is actually the best time because most places in the United States, the high season is going to be summertime. That's going to be like May, June, July, August. Those are the months where you get so much um, more money for your rental. So now is actually an amazing time to learn and to start and to plan and be set up and be ready for that time. I agree. That's going to be housing market is going to be booming once again, once the spring started turning too. So I can see real estate and vacation property started to get a lot of business and churn at that point. So that's a, that's a great point too. So take action today, today, take action today, folks. Okay. So Laura, I appreciate it. We'll catch you in the next video. Uh, Stand by for me, please. Thanks.